G'day and welcome to Partake. Today I want to talk about the Christian disciple and sacraments. Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 22 said, He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciple saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And then just before he ascended, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this I am with you always even to the end of the age and these two events are what in the Protestant church are the sacraments of Holy Communion and Baptism but what are sacraments? the word sacrament derives from the Latin word sacramentum which is defined as consecrated and made holy. The sacraments as commanded by Jesus are ceremonial by nature. By spiritual and inward means of grace are the sacraments made effective, useful and purposeful. And these sacraments are the outward rites as we've seen given by Christ to the church and they are symbols of the saving truth of the gospel. The Anglican Catechism rightly calls them an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. There are three hallmarks of what a sacrament is. A visible sign of union with Jesus, pointing to invisible grace, and there is a bond between the visible sign and invisible grace. For the Protestant Church, baptism and communion are, as Augustine stated, the visible words of God in so much as they point directly to the gospel Jesus' death and subsequent resurrection as Christian disciples we are obliged to follow Jesus' commandments he said so himself in John 14 verse 15 and Paul reiterates that in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9 therefore we should participate in being baptised Matthew 28 verse 19 and in taking Holy Communion, Luke 22, verse 19. Martin Luther referred to them as the bath and the bread. So firstly, baptism. Baptism is commanded for all who believe in Jesus. We've seen that in Matthew 28, and also Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And it naturally followed after conversion, and there are many examples in Acts. For example, Acts 16, verse 33, or Acts 10. But what does it mean? Christian disciples are baptised into Christ, Romans 6 verse 3, and into the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. This is to show a total identification with Jesus Christ, whereby Christian disciples are baptised into his body, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13, and his death, Romans 6 verses 1 to 6. Our old inherent sinful natures are seen as buried with Christ and we are raised to live a new life with a new nature. Baptism is also a public testimony that Christian disciples have entered into God's blessings. 
but who should be baptized? And this has been an argument down through the centuries. And there are two main schools of thought over who should be baptized. Firstly, there is believer's baptism, which is for all who confess faith in Christ and is mentioned frequently in the New Testament, such as when Jesus said, Matthew 28 verse 19, and Acts 2 verse 41. And this was by full immersion, usually in a river or other public place. And secondly, there is what is called infant baptism. This practice and teaching was passed down by the apostles and was current by the time of the early church fathers, Oregon and Tertullian. And the basis for infant baptism lies in the Old Testament, where the sign of the Old Covenant between God and his people was circumcision of the male babies. And baptism can be thought of as equivalent in the New Testament and therefore applicable to infants. Colossians 2 verse 6 to 12. Suffice to say that Jesus never stopped children from participating in anything. I won't tell you my opinion on which I think is the correct form, but will let you think about and study it for yourself. Suffice to say that God has used proponents of both opinions down through the ages. And then there's Holy Communion. Depending on your church, it can be called, amongst other things, the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Christian disciples are commanded to participate, as Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, Luke 22, verse 19. And that could be interpreted, continue doing this in remembrance of me. Some churches do it every service, and other peop- others do it monthly or regularly. And whenever we participate in it, we do it regularly as a remembrance of Jesus until he comes again. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26 The bread symbolises his body broken on the cross and the wine symbolises his blood shed on the cross. Therefore, before we partake, partake of the bread and wine, we are to examine ourselves and confess any unforgiven sin. 1 Corinthians 11 verses 28 to 29 This is done so because it would be hypocritical to eat it and drink it while harbouring known sin in our hearts whilst having fellowship with Jesus. Remember, he's the Holy One and also others in the church. But what does it mean? Well, it symbolises fellowship with other believers in the universal church as well as the local church, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 17. We receive the benefits of his sacrifice, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. We spiritually feed upon him, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24. It symbolizes the death of Christ for our sin, Luke 22, verse 19. Other parts of the New Testament call it that symbolizes our acceptance of Christ's death for us and our dependence on Christ for spiritual life. And all these symbolise the new covenant made between God and Jesus' disciples. A covenant guaranteeing salvation. Two other main views insist that it is more than just symbolic. Firstly, there is transubstantiation, which believes that the bread and wine actually become the blood and body of Jesus Christ. Secondly, there is consubstantiation, which believes that the body and blood of Christ are present in the communion meal. However, both of these views would indicate that Jesus Christ is being re-sacrificed. And Hebrews 7 verse 27 
refutes this thinking the bread we eat and wine we drink at Holy Communion is only symbolic of his sacrifice and therefore not a reenactment and I wonder if you notice the common theme holding these two sacraments together being Jesus' death without Jesus' death on the cross there would be no Christianity how do Christian disciples remember the significance of Jesus' death? as we have seen Christian disciples do this in two ways to the twin sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion so why is Jesus' death so significant for the Christian disciple? that is what I hope to discuss next time for more to think about please do read Matthew 28 verses 19 to 20 and 1 Corinthians 11 verses 17 to 34 ask yourself the following questions writing them down if you can and see how you respond or react to them then why not share your answers with your spouse or a close friend so that you can pray over any issues together question one what lessons can I learn from the Corinthian church regarding Holy Communion question two what must I do next time I participate in the Holy Communion and why and lastly question three how can I help those who haven't been baptised and those recently baptised? As ever, if you have any comments to make on this, please do contact me at partake at hotmail.co.uk I would love to hear from you and whether these are making any difference at all to your continual Christian discipleship. Thank you.